Welcome to Lipstick Attitude, hosted by Dr. Elizabeth King, psychotherapist, hypnotherapist, author, and motivational speaker, specializing in trauma and women's mental health, and Yvonne Haas, psychotherapist and coach specializing in relationships, couples, and women's issues. This show is your dose of inspiration, information, and laughter. In each episode, Dr. King and Yvonne bring you hacks, tips, and inspiring stories to help you live a successful life. So ladies, grab your lipstick. It's time to do this. The Lipstick Attitude Podcast is powered by Suits, Stilettos, and Lipstick Foundation, a nonprofit movement to empower women and children from all walks of life to be resilient, self-confident, and purposeful leaders through education, mentorship, and community outreach. To learn more, visit sslwomen.org. Please note that this show is intended to empower and educate. It is not meant to be utilized as a substitute for individual therapy. Well, hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Hi, ladies. How are you? Fabulous. We're great. Or I'm you're, great. <laughs> you're great. You're great. I love that. Oh, my goodness. Well, welcome, everyone. This is another episode of The Lipstick Attitude uh, with Dr. Elizabeth King and Yvonne Haas. We're so very excited to be here today, and we have a very special guest which we will introduce in a couple of minutes. But I just, wanted, I just wanted to know, how is it, before I introduce everyone, and I don't know if everybody's gonna be seeing this uh, actually because they might be just listening to it, but how do you both look so great so early in the morning and you, and you know, you look fabulous or is it from the waist down you look like, you know, pajama bottoms and <laughs> look, ah, ah. <laughs> no, today I'm actually wearing a jumpsuit so it's the full thing but sometimes yeah. I I have uh put on something on the top and worn my pjs or shorts in the bottom or underwear so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes I have I'm, I'm sticking with I have concealer and I'm not afraid to use it oh and I bought this like double secret lighting thing I don't think I can get it into the camera oh here it is Oh, what? And it adds the ultimate lighting for your video conferencing. Oh, oh, sure. Do that and don't tell your bestie, really. Well, I'm trying it out today. <laughs> oh, this is your tryout? Okay, good. This is my tryout. The plastic is still on it in case it didn't make me look like Jennifer Aniston, because then that crap's <laughs> going back. You right? look better than work. Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> 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 well, with no further ado, I must uh, introduce our amazing special guest today. This is Lorraine Ladash, and she is an author, writer, editor, speaker, social media lover, and mother of two girls and one boy, founder of Viva 50, bilingual community that celebrates life after 50. Woohoo! After 50! Woo! <laughs> Previously, she was an editor-in-chief of Miami Verse, uh, a platform for Latina mothers. She has contributed to People in Español, La Palma de Palm Beach Post, Purple Clover, Latina Magazine, and Red Book. She is a writer for NBC News, Huffington Post, AARP, Baby Center, and Mom.me. Her most recent book um, on enjoying aging was published by HarperCollins in 2017. But above all, she is a woman, mom, wife, daughter, sister, friend, writer, businesswoman, and yogini. Oh my gosh. And so much more. And also you were, and you don't have this in here, but I must put in a plug. 
She was a speaker at one of our major conferences, uh, Stilettos and Lipstick, and that was at the convention center. Weren't you at the convention center? Yes, or at, yes. Uh, she yes, was at the convention yeah. center. Yeah. And I have very, very good memories of that year. So yes, I mean, of that event, it was great. Uh, that was very, uh, very amazing. Good. Everybody spoke so highly of you. And uh, <laughs> I have been following you. I don't know if you remember how we actually met, but I actually were, was following you on Instagram and on Twitter. And um, I just loved everything that you were talking about. And of course, you spoke to my heart because you talked about aging and reinventing yourself, which of course, I know nothing about that, but my friends wanted to know about <laughs> the aging part. The aging <laughs> they wanted part. to know about the aging part. And the reinventing part. So I just follow along for them because I needed to report. <laughs> right. <laughs> but honestly, you, your story is so amazing and uh, so profound, and we could all learn from, from it because uh, I think the message that you bring to women across the globe uh, from all walks of life is that you can do it at any age. Is, is that true? I think so, yes. And any age could be really young. And mm -hmm. also, it's not that I advocate for older women. I advocate for women of any age because I realize that ageism goes both ways. Like older women kind of demeaning young people, saying, well, they're not old enough, they don't have experience, so I don't like that. And I support younger women. But of course, uh, being an older woman myself, I need to make sure that older women are taken care of and feel that they can take on the world and that it's not too late to do absolutely anything, really. And, and, yeah, and go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say, <laughs> I, I just wanna add in that this woman, for those of you who cannot see her, you're gonna wanna find her on social media because everything about her is age-defying. Before you came on, Lorraine, I was telling Dr. King, I said, yeah, you know, I just saw her on uh, Facebook the other day. And every time I see you, you're standing on your head. And she's like, I'm filming this, you know, from this coming up birthday. And, and here she is on her head. And I said to her, I'm like, I'm lucky I can stand on my feet. Like, you know, well, it's, it's amazing. It's just age defying. Well, the thing is that I feel that um, as long as we have life, there are possibilities and we all have different abilities. Um, I lost, and I know you ladies uh, know a lot about loss as well, both of you. And I lost three good friends, one of them my best friend to cancer in the past three years. In the past two years, I lost three good friends to cancer. And two of them were younger than me, and they will never see my age. So every time, you know, every morning that I get out of bed, I am thankful for just being alive and having my health, although I had a couple of health scares in the past years as well. And those determined that I was not going to let a number um, prevent me from having new goals. Some of them are physical, some of them are mental, some of them are emotional. And the physical one is that I want to hold a freestanding handstand away from the wall. I can do it, but I can't do it far from the wall because I'm afraid of falling back and you know breaking my back, which I don't need at this stage of life. <laughs> not a good so, idea. <laughs> But I'm giving myself until 60 to do that, which is pretty um, you know, long. I'm 57 later this month. And um, sometimes when I see my own photos, like I was looking at my progress from a year ago when I started having that goal to right now. And I was like, wow, I, I have actually progressed. And, and 
you know, a lot of people younger than me um, might not feel they could, that this is a goal they should even aim for at this age. I'm not saying you have to ha stand on your hands, obviously. Um, and again, I have friends with uh, invisible illnesses, with, um, you know, uh, disabilities. Mm -hmm. And so I think I am very, very aware of all those things. But at the same time, I honor uh, the friends that I lost and myself by doing what I can while I can do it. So I want to know where does this mindset come from? Because, you know, you don't wake up in the morning and go, I am going to be a yogini at 57 or, you know, every step of the way, everything you have done from what I know has really taken you out of your comfort zone. So where does the mindset come that, that goes along with trying new things and being able to, do the things that you're doing. So I imagine, you know, I think we're all shaped by our, a little bit by our circumstances and um, some people grow into or are born into adverse circumstances and they either, you know, go down a wrong path or they overcome. Um, and you are an example of that as well. You know, you, you, it's in how you deal with it. So um, I grew up uh, and I was not raised by my mother. Um, she was out of my life from one day to the next when I was five. And that was a little bit hard to deal with. And I was, you know, I was living in the States and suddenly from one day to the next, I was in Spain and, you know, a, a lot of different things. Um, there's a history of addiction in my family. Uh, my sister tried to take her life. Uh, I have undergone clinical depression and eating disorder that lasted 20 years um, mm. involving self-harm and anxiety. And again, um, very, very uh, severe clinical depression. But somehow I always felt in me, this, this can't be it. I cannot allow myself to just go through life um, like this. I need to, you know, because there were good days and I wanted more of the good days. I didn't want, want those um, horrendous bad days where I did not want to exist. And I grew in a, up in a family of uh, artists, of writers. My grandfather was a painter, a writer. Um, he survived the Spanish Civil War. He was in a concentration camp. And, you know, hearing those stories of adversity of, of what my family had uh, overcome made me think this is what people do, you know. So um, I watched my dad also write books and um, he also reinvented himself after his divorce when he was a young man. And so I don't know, there was this inner drive. I can't fully take credit for it. It's just something that is inside of me from, a, from the age of 17 that I can remember buying self-help books to get out of that depression, you know, and taking myself to doctors and finding, you know, everything from yoga at a very young age and sports. That's why I practice sports. Um, I did not do it to look a certain way. I did it because it made me feel better. And uh, to this day at 57, what I did really, when, when people say you reinvented yourself, I sometimes feel what I really did is just do the same thing, but in different avenues as time went on. Like I, I started out being a communicator, a writer, a translator, uh, dealing with words and also adapting TV um, sitcoms into Spanish when I lived in Spain and then wanting to write a book, writing a book about my eating disorder and uh, so on and so forth. And so what happened is that eventually I went back to my roots of yoga when I was older um, and I had injured my hip in a half marathon 
and that took me back to yoga. So I kind of scaled back on the running, but that took me to yoga. Not the, just the yoga of the physical crazy poses that I do, which, you know, it's, I can't really take credit for that. Um, it's more the philosophical part of it, the spiritual part of it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not a religion. Anybody with any belief could practice yoga and be comfortable doing it. So, you know, it's it's more like um, I was always a communicator. And after losing it, everything in 2008, I just brought it online. So I was basically, I'm basically doing the same thing that I've always done, except in a different medium. And it's interesting because from a very young age, I was always working for myself which back then seemed like a not a very good thing to do because i couldn't hold a job i i couldn't stand going to an office i just i I was a rebel and that didn't look very good because it was like well she can't hold a job she can't you know uh, commit to being somewhere and but i i say i invented telecommuting because before the internet i was always i was with before faxes before cell phones i was already telecommuting and working for sound studios um, from a different city and they couldn't even understand how that could work. And I said, just let me try. And if it works, you know, with couriers and a typewriter and like calling on a payphone, you know, and it wow. works, wow. imagine what I can do with the internet. Oh so God. I feel that the internet world caught up with my mindset. So it's wow. not always, you know, that, um, I think you're, some of us, not some of us, everybody is born with a certain mindset. And for me, I am very grateful that when internet and social media and all that rolled around, it was kind of, oh, okay, I get this. This is what I was doing before, except now I have this, you know, <laughs> that makes it immediate. They, they made it easier for you. Yes. You know, it's, it's really interesting because we were talking about this before we were on the show that you were doing this, what we're all learning right now, way before any of us, right? The pandemic has forced us all into doing everything virtually, but you were so ahead of the game before, and now you even said, even before the internet, you were figuring it out. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that takes a, a lot of uh, creativity, I think, to be able to see beyond. So I think you are right, you were born with that, uh, element of curiosity, of creativity, of, you know, thinking outside of the box, uh, which apparently have all come together to, to make who you are be who you are. Um, I'm just curious because you, you, you said a few things uh, through that story that really touched uh, me. And I know that our listeners and our viewers are going to be wondering how you did it because you glossed over it and made it sound so Easy. Mm-hmm. You made it so easy. <laughs> no. Oh, I, mean, you know, I changed my mind, and here I no, am. No, 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 no. It well, was hard. It was hard. Well, especially because you said your your mom left when you were five. I mean, that alone creates a, a whole bunch of havoc. And Yvonne and I were both psychotherapists, so you know we see this so often with mm-hmm. with our patients, uh, folks with, that are dealing with abandonment issues and and everything that comes along with that. So I, I want you to address and, and really be raw, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. If you can, no, and I know that you write uh, for for your audience. You write to t- connect and, and be real with them. So I want you to do the same thing here and, and share with uh, everyone. How is it that you go from being abandoned by your mother, which is such a, a unique relationship, um, to the person that you have become that 
looks like you've got it all together. I don't. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think anybody does. But but I'll say this. Well, first of all, um, you know the the abandonment issue was very. It's a very complicated situation where um, you know I'm not quite sure whether she abandoned me or just didn't come after or what you know and then my mother had a stroke it's 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 a very deep and intense situation but what i did learn from all that was well my father remarried and and my uh, stepmother is 10 years younger uh, sorry no that's not true 10 years older than i <laughs> which is not a big it's not a big difference and back in spain back then that was like socially so you know the society did not accept that so you know it was very it was very um strange growing up with that and I've always wondered what it was like. Uh, my grandmother was an excellent caretaker of my sister and myself, but uh, she was, you know, a grandmother of back then. And, um, you know, there's, there's always this idea that I've always thought, well, what if I had, you know, a real mother? What does that feel like? So what happened is that I honestly became the mother I never had. And I wanted to be a young mother. And if I didn't have kids by the age of 25, I told myself I will not have children. Of course, I was a mess um, physically, physically, emotionally, and spiritually at every level. And I would choose the wrong partners, um, you know, honestly, because I always think that, you know, women complain like, oh, my partner did this and did that to me. Yeah, but you allowed it. And, and so I allowed it. And I feel that it comes, it stems from that fear of abandonment where you stay in a relationship that is dysfunctional or bad for you, hurtful, et cetera, uh, because you are afraid of, of being alone. And um, so I didn't have children until the age of uh, 37 was my first one. And then I turned 38 and the second one, I was 40, turned 41. But that put me in a position to prepare myself to to again, not be, to not make the mistakes that my parents made, because they were very young back then. Um, I mean, my mother was 20 year old when she had me and that was kind of the norm then. But I really feel a really great connection with my daughters and um, one is 19 and seeing the world, the other one is 16 still at home. And um, I, it gives me great satisfaction. Of course, I still, that doesn't mean I have my own relationship with my mother uh, resolved. It might be something I never resolve ever, but I have learned to live with it and make the best of it. And that also makes me more empathetic towards people who have any kind of uh, dysfunction or loss in their life from a very early age. Uh, uh, Yvonne, you, you had a question. I'm, I don't want to. <laughs> how, how could you tell, right? I'm like, oh, no. I'm just... You know, I'm curious if you have like a moment in your life where you kind of sat back and said, this isn't working. Like, you know, like a, either a, a lull or a moment or a thought where you're like, something isn't working and, and I've got to shift. Or was it a series of shifts in your mindset that happened? I don't think it was a shift. It was um, never giving up because when I was... Um, in the middle of depression and eating disorders and dysfunctional relationships, I was always find, trying to find a doctor, a solution. I have tried all the medications for depression in the world, I think, <laughs> from lithium salts, where you have to be monitored to see how much lithium there is in your blood, 
to, I, I mean, I, I probably would have gone through electroshocks if I had to, but the point being that I never gave up. So at one point when I was in my um, early 40s and had just moved to the States, I found myself again uh, from Spain to the States. I moved at 41, which is a big thing with, you know, two little children, my career in the middle of, you know, being great in Spain, my then husband loses his job, we moved to the States where I have, you know, I'm, I'm American and I'm Spanish, but I had never really lived here for any extended period of time as an adult. And that was another trauma um, or shock. And, um, you know, oh, so then I, I visited a, a doctor because I started having panic attacks after I stopped breastfeeding my kids during pregnancies. I never took pills because I didn't have to. Pregnancy hormones seem to just, you know, help a lot. But then when I weaned the kids from breastfeeding, I found myself in the car with two little, a baby and a, a toddler um or more than a toddler and i i had this huge panic attack and i thought i this can't go on i have to go to the doctor because i am putting my kids in danger and um and i had to um not only that i had to defend myself in the eyes of my ex-husband who thought that taking pills was some kind of a weakness so mm -hmm. that's something i've had to do all my life which is uh deal with that stigma which i'm tired of and now i speak freely about it because my kids are older and they found out i took pills and i didn't want them to grow up with that idea so they wouldn't think they were conditioned to have to you know take mm -hmm. pills themselves or but when they found out um i thought you know well that's it i have zero reason to hide it and um, so anyway, I found this uh, psychiatrist and he put me on a certain medication that was the medication for me to this day. And so it took me all my life until the, the age of 41 to find that, and I'm 57. So when people, you know, the hope I can give them is if you need medication, not everybody does, but if you do, don't give up because the fact that two or three or four or 10 meds didn't work for you doesn't mean that the next one won't. Um, of course, that's not the only thing that I do. I also have gone to therapy. I have gone to 12-step groups. And um, again, now will I um, practice all kinds of um, physical and mental and spiritual practices that help me stay centered or uh, try to gravitate towards centeredness because there's <laughs> always this, you know, life isn't perfect, obviously, as we know. No, you know, <laughs> yeah, boy, do we know. I know. You know, one of the reasons that I'm drawn to you, Lorraine, is that uh, your story is is so real for so many, and and that you share your story because mm -hmm. you know if if someone sees you in a picture, they go, oh, perfect, perfect, mm -hmm. everything, every which way, and the mm -hmm. fact that you talk about addiction, that you talk about you know uh, eating disorder, that you talk about depression you know, really speaks to the heart of every person out there uh, to know that it's okay not to be okay. And it's what Yvonne and I go around saying to everyone, it's okay not to be okay. And it's okay for, to ask for help, which mm -hmm. is what I think that your, your story really uh, highlights. So I just am very curious though, because, uh, it sounds like your family life was pretty dysfunctional, uh, if, if you don't mind me saying no, it. Is. It, was, it was, and it is. You know, and, and I say that with all due respect because it, there are people out there hearing this right now 
that are going to be going, okay, that sounds like my family. It's so dysfunctional, but I can't get out of my own way. I can't stop self-sabotaging because everything that they did has created this monster in my head. So I want to know what is it that happened that that those monsters in your head got out because you were able to get out of it even though you went through that whole journey. So I would, you know, there's a lot about, first of all, taking responsibility. Um, when I was a young person, I was very angry. I, I had a very hot temper and I still have it in, in there somewhere, you know, and it, it flares up as a parent as with difficult situations and stuff like that. Um, but I feel that going from a victim mindset when I was younger to oh my, everything that is wrong with me is because of my parents, because of this, because of that to realizing, well, maybe it's their, not their fault, but it's not my fault for sure, mm -hmm. but it's my responsibility to get out of it. Nobody else is going to do it for me. And I am such a much happier person. And my relationship with my family has improved thanks to that. Um, because you realize they did the best they could given their circumstances. And then you look at their parents and like my dad's father, who was not a good father, was a great grandfather, but not a good father. My grandmother was a great grandmother, but she was not the most loving mother. And so, you know, if you start looking at all those things then you realize, wow, now I get it. But so what I can do and the piece I find is that I eventually created, um, I remarried, I, I divorced and remarried and for 11 years um, now, soon now, um, have a blended family that has its problems because of course, you know, teenagers get in trouble and things happen and it's not a bed of roses. But the point being that I created the family I always wanted. It doesn't look like what I thought it would look like. I thought it would be myself and a husband and biological children. And now it turns out it's somebody else uh, we have three children, none in common, but but it's a peaceful house for the most part. And, you know, there's a lot of creativity, a lot of allowing everybody to be who they are, um, a safe place, the safe place that I didn't feel I had when I was younger. And I think it's, um, it's possible to do it. Last night I was reading um, an, a book that I have not read by Viktor Frankl, uh, who wrote Man in Search of Meaning, but he has another book out, which I forget the title. Um, and my goodness, if somebody who lost his pregnant wife to the Holocaust and his parents and, you know, um, was able to find meaning in his life and continue, you know, to spread the word about, you know, what it what it means to be alive. Um, why can't I do it? That is one of my favorite books. And I recommend it to almost everybody mm -hmm. because you know, whether you think your problem is huge or whether you believe it's small or whatever, there's always the way, right? There, there's mm -hmm. always that, the finding of the way, which leads me to, I know you have two young girls I enjoy watching. I think it's like Chloe's Adventures, like that girl's yeah. always off someplace doing something. I love it. Um, but what, what message do you want to give them as young women growing up in the world that some of our listeners who might, there are some people under 40 still, like like me, you know, who are listening to the show today. But What's what your you, age? What wait, 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 what is your age again? <laughs> what, 29, hello. 
It's the lighting. It's the lighting. Right. Trust it's the me. Lighting. I'm buying so two what, of those. <laughs> exactly. What from every angle like this? Yeah. yeah. But what message do you want to give uh, the younger women coming up who are you know about to embark on their own journey? To to do you know what to live the life that my 19 year old is living, which is hard for me as a mom because she um, she's traveled with her money. I might add. Um, all over the world, including, you know, Morocco, Australia, on her own from San Francisco, where she was living with my sister, and she was jumping out of planes, literally, bungee jumping, and here I am on another time zone, you know, <laughs> my, my gray hair, which I'm actually letting it grow now, I have all of it, thanks to her, but, um, but you know, every time I have some kind of doubt, you know, she gets all these, I, I have tattoos, but hers are visible everywhere in your face, um, and she seems to be living very fast like that. But then I think, what would I tell her if she were not my daughter? And that is what I end up telling her. It is live the life that you want to live because, you know, life doesn't wait. And we, again, we all know that. And so, um, and she's actually living that life. You know, she's um, thinking of studying, but she's certainly not holding back as to adventures. She's managing her own money. Um, she's saving. I mean, she looks like this free spirit that's just messing, you know, around but she she's actually a very mature 19 year old which i'm impressed by and um you know just really live for yourself and maybe you know listen to your parents because of course we're going to be giving you an alternative point of view but please don't let yourself be guided by any guilt that your parents could instill in you um i lived with a lot of guilt which i think is very um, common in two kinds of things that I grew up with, which is Catholicism and um, uh, Hispanic parents <laughs> or, or family. And my I am one of those too. <laughs> I can relate. So, but you see, I don't want my children to 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 call me and for me to say, "Hey, you haven't called in a week," so you're not going to call me back if I say that, you know. Um, so just you know, live live for you. Live for you. You know, it's so funny that you say that because I, I still remember my grandmother, God rest her soul, but every day that I would call her, she would say, and I'm just sitting here, you know, waiting for the call. <laughs> you know, and if I was 10 minutes late, it was like, you know, it may not be another day that I see or hear your voice. So <laughs> I, if anybody comes from a culturally, uh, uh, not, not diverse. Uh, I don't know the word, but you know that that culture that that has it's like this, like <laughs> grubs, the guilt. The guilt. You know the what I'm talking culture? about. The guilt. The guilt. Yes. It, it's the yes. same guilt, no matter what culture. Uh, you said that in 2008, and I read this in in your bio as well. In 2008, um, your whole life sort of just changed. You moved to Florida, and everything sort of tumbles for you. Uh, but I want you to share that story and what got you to pick yourself up, because okay. I think that everybody needs to know how to how to do this. So it was not my my first uh, big um, challenge in life, but it was my first big challenge with children. Mm. So I was a mother. That's what changed everything, really. And what happened was that um, it was the recession. 
and my then husband, we already had issues with the relationship when I came from Spain. We were already not, you know, on, on, um, on the rocks. But uh, as, as for marriage, and I would like to put that out there, is that I, one thing that I have very, um, you know, that makes me feel good is I tried everything. We tried therapy. We tried uh, separation under the same roof. We tried uh, seminars. We tried everything. So I have, I left no stone unturned. So it's, I recommend that if any woman feels that maybe this is not working, give it every, every try that you have left in you, especially if you have kids, because then you will be able to say, I gave it everything I had. And then it didn't work fine. So I, I'm, I'm, I can live with that. But the point is that, so, um, so that happens where, you know, that, that this is not working. Um, the recession happens. My ex-husband worked in, um, development and housing and we know what happened with that <laughs> mm -hmm. so he had no work um i lost all my freelance gigs i've always made a living as a self-employed person or you know with gigs and so my gigs dried up no writing uh, assignments no translating nada uh i had a really good uh credit score back then and just to keep our lifestyle going i maxed out my credit like a crazy person just to you know keep things going <clears throat> excuse me and um savings went out the door just everything it was absolutely nothing and then one day i realized i just can't you know my my then husband and the girls and i had to move from a big house to a tiny apartment and i thought this is not gonna work <laughs> in a tiny apartment <laughs> <You know? laughs> nope. so that's when i realized you know this is this is it i can't do it anymore so then i went out on my own and i just took out you know my laptop my clothes, uh, the girls, which we, you know, co-parented after that, and um, and a box of jewelry that uh, belonged to me, but had a bunch of stuff had been given to me by my family, my grandmother, my grandfather. And um, so, you know, with help of family, I couldn't do that on my own. So my sister, my father, that's a benefit also of, of having a Hispanic family is that they will help you. <laughs> so benefit. they were... <laughs> Yeah, so immediately everybody stepped in and I got help from my sister, from my dad, from my abuelita, from, you know, everybody. And um, I was able to set myself in a small apartment and, you know, start over. But it was hard because I was not making money. And I started looking for jobs. This woman at 45 who has never wanted to have a job suddenly is job hunting. But of course... In that moment, I would look for anything like server, hostess, um, somebody in a warehouse, what have you. But I had no experience. And I'm 45. Of course, they're going to hire a, somebody my kid's age now rather than myself. And what would I do with the girls when I was working in such a place where probably the pay wasn't going to be very good and all this? It was, it was a conundrum. And... So I did some direct selling of jewelry. Um, I still wear some of it, a lot of it actually, um, silver jewelry. And I, I mean, it, the situation was so dire that um, the girls would be invited to our neighbor's uh, apartment, a Hungarian lady who had a billion children, but she invited my kids over and myself, I never went. Because the girls told her, uh, my eldest was always like, you know, a big talker, still is. And she said, yeah, there's no food in my house. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they would invite them over and they would, I would say, yeah, go ahead and have uh, dinner there or whatever. And then a friend of mine, much younger than myself, um, 
said to me, well, you know, he knew my situation. I said, well, why don't you apply for food stamps? And I was like, well, food stamps are for poor people. Hmm. But then I realized, I was like, wait a minute. There is I'm no poor. food. I'm not making money. <laughs> I am poor. I'm a, I must be poor. <laughs> so I applied for the food stamps. It was a little bit, you know, arduous to do and all that. But um, I, I got them, you know, for the girls. And then um, that gave me a big relief, you know, to be able to, because when you're super, super worried and anxious and depressed, you know, it's very hard to even think straight. So knowing that at least, you know, remember, I will never forget the first day that we got some real groceries and the girls and I were going up the stairs with the bags of groceries. Um, and these are girls that were then four and seven. And my eldest said, this is better than Christmas. And that was Google. <laughs> and then, you know, I had um, very nice things happen to me. Like, of course, the school where I took my girls, um, they knew everything I'd gone through and they put us on the charity list. So my kids got uniforms and socks and underwear. Um, they put me on the Christmas charity list. So every year now I make sure that I pay it forward. Um, and they brought us some toys for the girls and money to have dinner. And uh, I mean, it was that bad. It was, it was like I was close to being evicted so many times. And, um, and then, however, there's this thing that I've always had of taking care of myself. So as, um, you know, this might sound like something that you shouldn't do when you're down and out, but I signed up to dance classes. <laughs> on Fridays that were like 40 bucks a month, which was a lot of money for me back then. But I forgot everything when I was dancing. I met people. Um, I brought the girls with me. And that actually turned out to be a great thing because two things that I remember were very significant for me. One was a school teacher, like Dean as well, who knew that I had sold my family's jewelry to pay the rent, which was one very sad story for me because it, was, it wasn't the jewelry, I was giving away my legacy, my family's legacy. I was giving the ring that my grandfather was wearing when he was dying, when he, when he died, um, all the things that they had given to my little girls when they were born and you know, just that kind of thing. And it was hard, even my wedding ring. And um, so this school teacher says to me, um, you know, did they give you a lot of money for what you sold? And I'm like, well, I don't know, I paid the rent, you know, so that, that's that. And she said, well, I have something for you that I've been waiting to give to the right person. I knew she had had two failed marriages. She was in her 30s. Um, so she asked me to go home with her. I did. And she brought out a little box and put it in my hand. And they were the two sets of rings from her two failed marriages for me to sell, to pay the rent or feed my girls wow. or whatever. Wow. That made me feel goodness, if people who hardly know me, I mean, they know me, but they know me superficially, are willing to do this for my girls, I need to show them that I am deserving of their trust and their confidence, you know, in me. And so, you know, somehow- God, Stop crying. Um, oh. <laughs> I know her. Those stories make me cry. I cried awesome. all. I cried on my way from this woman's house to my place. In the it was it was one of those summer thunderstorms that we get in Florida, and I couldn't see the road, you know. And but I was like, wow! I did sell the jewelry, you know. I, I would not have done that if I hadn't had children. 
And I made a point of my girls know all of these stories because I think they should and how good people were with us. So the point is that um, I kept going to this dance studio and um, another person there, a young, um, a young businessman, he saw, that was when Facebook was starting and, you know, so he saw, oh, I, I saw you're a writer and blah, blah, blah and, and, you know, I need a writer. And I was like, whoa, I'm a published author. I'm a journalist. You know, this is going to be some good work. And what he really needed were some um, blog, blog posts about coupon discounts. <laughs> and he was going to pay me 12 bucks per post when I now charge almost $3,000 for a sponsored post on my website. Like, so just so you can see like, yeah. but that, but, but then those $12 were like, okay, I'll just pump these guys out. And, but then he said they have to be SEO friendly search engine optimized. I had no idea what that meant, but I found out. And for a few weeks I was like, I'm getting a paycheck. I'm getting money. I don't care if it's writing, whatever I'm writing. And slowly I started realizing, wait a minute, you know, I could write copy for websites. So, Somebody, you know, when I went to one of these local um, chamber of commerce meetings and, you know, said I write copy or whatever, somebody hired me. So I started getting, you know, $1,000 instead of $12 and this and that. And so I realized, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give this my everything. And then because I had met a lot of people when I was uh, writing for the Palm Beach Post, um, that was really good because people who knew me and knew my work ethic they reached out to me saying, hey, you know, there's uh, uh, um, about.com, which then belonged to the New York Times. They're hiring a Spanish mom who will write about, not Spanish, but Hispanic mom who will write in Spanish about being a mom, whatever. So boom, I applied. It was arduous. It was a one month long thing. Um, very hard because you had to learn HTML, which I had no clue. Again, more SEO, this and that, how to make your own website. And I thought, if I don't get the gig, at least I'll know what I'm doing. I got the gig and it was only $650 a month, but it was for sure. It was my first for sure thing. And I cried the day I got it. Now that's, I, I find like, how could I even live off of that? But I was doing that and I was doing something else. Then all the Latino publications things started um, surfacing online. And very, very fast, I got back on my feet writing for online publications. And eventually, when I was turning 50, I decided that I wanted to you know, manage my own thing again. But what would I do that I could really be invested in for the next five or 10 years? And being a Latina mom, I mean, I, I still am. But, but the thing is, I was getting older and I thought I need to... I need to think of the future, you know, what, what am I going to be wanting to write about? And it was turning 50 because by then I was in great physical shape. I had not had health scares yet, which I have overcome, but um, I had met the love of my life. We had just gotten married after five years of being together. Um, you know, everything was good. I, I, I had no complaints. And so I thought that everybody was happy to turn 50. And then when I started posting online, I'm turning 50, I'm turning. And then no. people were like, oh my God, well, are you sure you want to pigeonhole yourself? And this was seven or eight years ago. Are you sure you want to pigeonhole yourself? I don't think you should be doing this. And why are you calling it Viva 50? What's going to happen when you turn 60? And I thought, well, you know, just keep on going. Viva 50 means just after 50, after right? 50, yeah. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the, 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 the story of that is that I told my husband then that I was sure we would take 
a couple of years to maybe make it profitable because I had seen these big websites that I had managed for other people, what they were doing. I didn't have that budget, blah, blah, blah. It was profitable in the first year because I'm a, I'm, I have an addictive personality. I'm not, I'm not a dedicated person. I just happen to be compulsive <laughs> and addictive. And what happened is that I learned to redirect that energy to positive, creative stuff. So I pumped out articles. My husband and I worked on it tirelessly. Um, I did on the side editorial gigs that were, were lucrative so I could pay for my own business and make it happen and blah, blah. And right now, I mean, for the past few years, we've been making um, six figures consistently, even in the middle of the pandemic. And this is actually my best year so far. That's um, amazing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so just, just for uh, a general concept for folks to know, how many followers do you have? Because I, I look at those numbers and I'm like, <laughs> wow, uh, do you know them off the top of your head? I didn't mean to. I do. I do. No, no, because I have to for um, when PR agencies ask me. So for I have a bunch. The thing is that I don't have like 100,000 people on Instagram. I have like 24,000 on Instagram, but then I have Viva 50 on Instagram, which has 6,000. The Flawed Yogini, which is a, a, a yoga thing, which is 3,000. Then I have three Facebook pages, one with 58,000. You see, I know the numbers. One with 20,000. <laughs> then Twitter, 80,000. Um, and I think it's 40,000 for 50, maybe less. And, you know, so then I have three websites and with 150,000 uh, uniques for Viva 50. Pinterest, 5,000, YouTube, 3,000 and something. So, I mean, I'm all over the place and it yeah. might sound like it's a lot of work, but, um, but this is my job. This, this is what I do, do and this is how I make money. Yeah. So, yeah. I just wanted, so I wanted everyone to get an idea, just a scope of what you have done in such a short amount of time, because we're talking 2008 when you were going through all that and here mm -hmm. we are in, in 2020. And you have built such a, an amazing empire uh, and you are an influencer. Uh, we always want to end our show with this question because I think it's so intriguing to all of us to understand what do you want your legacy to be after everything is all said and done? What would you like your legacy to be? That I don't know, but I feel that um, I would love women to understand from what I've gone through that if you have any kind of perceived flaws, which could be, again, mental health issues, it could be um, addictions, it could be whatever, that, that, that you can harness them, that you can learn to live with them and make them work for you. And that that mental health, um, physical issues or uh, your history don't define you. You define how you want to respond to life's challenges because, again, as we all know, we have many. And um, and they're probably not going to go away. And I'm, I, I live very, very aware of the fact that life could change on a dime. And, you know, my dad has led a very healthy life and he has some very serious um, health issues which have nothing to do with how he took care of himself. So I know that I could stand on my hands, but then maybe I could be diagnosed with some awful disease. Those things happen. So to, to, to really realize that your flaws might be your best asset. You are the that. epitome of <laughs> lipstick attitude. <laughs> <laughs> the lipstick. 
thank you so much for sharing your your story. It's just been an amazing ride, and I, I wish we had hours to continue to dive in to even hear more. I, I can listen to you all day long. All you're, day. Just an, you're just an, an amazing. Well, it's it's actually host. mutual because I admire oh. you both tremendously. You. Your resilience, your oh. courage, and everything. Thank you Thank so you. much. So Lorraine, for our listeners, and we'll be sure to put this in the show notes, what is the, the best or the easiest way for our listeners to find you, stay connected, follow you, learn more about you? Um, I always say you can just Google me because I am for better or worse, the only person online with that name, so, um, <laughs> which, which is good and bad. Okay. But um, yeah, com or Viva50.com. And from there, you can find me on every possible social media platform. And, and awesome. please follow her on every one of them because everyone <laughs> is unique and she has a, a, an incredible message for all of us on all of her platforms. Okay, ladies, are you ready? Whip out your lipstick. It's that time. This is the lipstick attitude. And what that means is that we women put on our lipstick to go out there and face the world. We have courage. We have resiliency. We have everything that it takes to get out there to be successful. So put on your lipstick attitude, ladies, no matter what, no matter what. Thank you so much. Lorraine, thank you so much for sharing your story and your thank journey. You. It has been amazing to have you on the show with us. And I know that everyone is going to benefit from hearing and your journey. Thank you so much and God bless. Thank you. It helps me talk to people because I'm so disconnected lately that it just makes me feel human again. Okay, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> remember that everyone. Social dis uh, social distancing does not Distance. mean distancing. So connect, connect, connect. Thank you so much, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.